Welcome to this week's podcast from Suncoast Church. We hope that this message inspires you and helps you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. For more details, check out suncoast.org.au. We hope you enjoy this message. to you wherever you're watching this from. It is again such an absolute privilege to be having the chance to talk and to share uh, this, this new series with you. Last week we kicked it off. It's called Address the Mess. And so wherever you find yourself today, whatever season of life, even wherever you are geographically, it is super encouraging and super exciting to be with you. And maybe you're someone who's never seen anything, uh, in, in a, I guess from a church perspective, or you've tuned into any of our uh, videos here online at Suncoast Church. It is so, so cool to have you with us and uh, it's an absolute privilege. And I want you to be able to, I guess, like, subscribe, share, all the good things from any of our online platforms. I'd love to be able to connect with you in any way we can. So last week we began the series that they just mentioned, Address, address the Mess. And, and as much as there's many messes in life and around the world, we can find ourselves in economic messes, political messes, environmental messes, messes everywhere. What we did to begin this series last week is we paused and we wanted to look at the mess in the mirror. And before we quickly go about criticizing everything that's wrong elsewhere, we wanted to stop and address the mess inside of us. And so we looked at some of the teachings of Jesus and what he showed us around that. So I encourage you to go back at any time and look at, I guess, the pilot of this series. And today I wanted to build on that because the truth is we can find ourselves in life in so many messes. I mean, think about it, not just external messes, and maybe right now you're in your living room or your bedroom or watching this in your car, wherever it might be. And if you look around and you're honest, when was the last time you cleaned it up? Maybe the, something needs vacuuming or mopping up or things washed, whatever it might be. But as much as things can be in a mess externally, it can also be, the truth is, messes internally. And something like this might be what the inside of your life can look like at times. And that can often happen in, in many cases in our world. I mean, even think of it, perhaps... Relationally right now, there's some, there's some messes we have found ourselves getting into. And, and often when things are, are broken or in turmoil, it's difficult to know where to begin. In fact, I remember when I was first married to Chloe, we, uh, we'd be married, we're coming up to nine years of being married. And I remember when I was first married, I, I made a comment to one of my mentors, one of my pastors in my life. And I kind of made this remark as a, you know, as a newly married guy would. And I was saying just how lucky and how grateful I was to be married to Chloe. And he's like, why? What is it that you love about Chloe so much that you feel so lucky? And I was like, well, she's just such a low maintenance girl. And he looked at me and he's like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, she's just so low maintenance. Like she's, you know, so easy that she's just happy all the time. She doesn't demand much of me. Like it's just so good to be married to this low maintenance girl. And, you know, it's just a comment coming out of the mouth of a, you know, a newlywed young guy. I'm in my mid-20s at the time. But he said to me a, a comment I'll never forget. And he said, well, Jono, that's cool you see her as low maintenance, but just because she's low maintenance, don't make the mistake of giving no maintenance because someone or something that might be low maintenance but receives no maintenance will inevitably become high maintenance. You still with me? And so this can often be the trap that we can get into, something that indeed might be low maintenance in our life, something that just you know, needs attention from time to time to keep it up to scratch, to keep it well oiled. If it receives no attention, or no maintenance, it inevitably will become messy, it will become high maintenance due to neglect. And this is what I want to talk about today, this idea of maybe we've gotten ourselves into messes in life, not simply based on what we've done, and indeed that can happen. We can make foolish decisions, we can make mistakes, we can fail, whatever it might be. But often we can find areas in our life in a mess because we haven't done something 
You know, you've heard of the idea of when you can commit a sin, but there's other things we can do that we have omitted, that we haven't done. And what's amazing is Jesus would often speak right into this dynamic and right into this dilemma. And in one of Jesus' most, uh, I guess, profound moments where he called out a whole lot of the religious leaders and people in positions of power and the hierarchy of his day, he was in the temple in Jerusalem. This is the last week of his life before Jesus knew he was gonna be crucified and die for the sins of the world. He started calling out the religious leaders and he pronounced what was known as woes on them, W-O-E, woe on you. And he had a go at them and he used so many analogies, essentially saying, you guys put so much emphasis on making the outside of something look good, when internally you're in such a mess. And you can read it in your own time, in, particularly in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first Gospel of the New Testament. Chapter 23, Jesus goes through all these different areas where he criticizes the religious leaders and scholars, the fact that they put so much emphasis on things looking good on the outside, neat, tidy, in order, presented well. But on the inside, things were messy, filthy, neglected. And right in the middle of Jesus going after him, I want to look at just this one verse, verse 23. He says this. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law. So he's saying, you guys give a tithe, you give a tenth of like herbs, like little leafy greens. And you're like, it's so important that we chop them up and even every leaf, we need to give 10% of it. But he says here, you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. And so Jesus brings this, in many ways, this, this, I guess, direct, and it could almost sound harsh critique of this religious folk who put so much emphasis on looking good externally, but internally, things were in such a mess. And the term he uses, he says, you have neglected the weightier matters the more important matters. And he wasn't saying that the less important matters should be neglected as well. He's saying you should focus on the important ones without neglecting the smaller ones. But his critique was, you've put in so much emphasis on things that at the end of the day, they're not that weighty. He used the term weighty or important or significant. And he goes, there's nothing wrong with putting emphasis on things that aren't that important. But there is a problem with that when it's done at the expense of focusing on what is most important. Although Jesus used the term here, the weightier matters. And he said, you have neglected the weightier matters. In other words, he's saying, you have committed the sin of omission. You've omitted doing something that you should have known to do. And in fact, uh, our social media streams have been filled. Our televisions have been filled. And you know, right now at the point where we're recording this about the events that are taking place in America right now after the murder of an individual. And so the conversation regarding race and racism is again, even in the middle of a global pandemic, the conversation of racism has come to the forefront and necessarily so. But what is unique about where the conversation has gone right now is the, the I guess the urging and the preaching and the encouragement that it is simply not enough to not be racist. And it's simply not enough to say, well, I'm, I'm not a racist person. And what the encouragement now is where the movement society is going is that you must be actively anti-racist. That it's not enough to simply not be racist. You must be actively anti-racist. You must use your voice. You must use your position. You must use your platform to denounce racism. And you know, there's the age old saying, and I'm sure you've heard it before in one way or another, that all it takes for evil to prosper is for good people to do, and you know it, 
nothing. It's this idea of omission. It's this idea of neglecting to do what we know we could and we should do. And I wonder if in our lives that we have made many messes in life because of something we haven't done, something we've neglected to do. I'm sure we've made messes for things that we've committed and things that we should have known better about, but maybe we've found ourselves in a mess in a certain area of your life because of something you have failed to do. So here's what I want to encourage you. Jesus said, don't neglect the weightier matters. Don't fail to tend to what is most important in your life. Now, our lives are filled with so many priorities, no doubt about it. We have hobbies, we have passions, we have commitments, we have loves, we have covenants. Like Our lives are filled with so many things. And indeed, if you've got the capacity and the ability to tend to them, but there's a warning that Jesus gives. Don't fail to tend to what is most important, the weightier matters in life. And even that term, if we're honest, we all have our own definitions, if you think about it, what is considered weightier in our lives, right? What you would consider important, maybe someone else thinks is less important. So what is weighty for you might be less weighty than someone else. But from Jesus, He shows us God's take on the matter. And what does God see as truly weighty in our life? And Jesus uses this term, the law of God. And there were many matters in the law of God. There were hundreds and hundreds. There are over 600 laws in the law of God that we see in the Old Testament. And so Jesus was unapologetic about saying some were actually more important than others. And not to say none of them weren't important, but there were weightier laws. There were weightier matters. And what's amazing what Jesus mentions here, He uses the term, what is more weightier is justice, mercy and faithfulness. And what is unique about these is they're all relational terms. They're relational. As if to say what Jesus sees as most weighty in the law of God were the relational laws, things that affected how we relate to other people. Justice, mercy, faithfulness, they're relational terms. And so when Jesus referred to our connection with our heavenly father, he would often use relational terms. That's why he's referred to as our heavenly Father. He wouldn't, and this is important to note, okay, because he wouldn't use mechanical terms. He would use relational terms, not mechanical, living terms, okay, because it's not enough to think a relationship with a person is just like a switch that's on and off. And you know, I fixed it 12 months ago. I said, I love you 12 months ago. If anything changes, I will let you know, right? You know, that's not how it works. Relationships aren't mechanical. They're more living than that. It's more like a garden, okay? And Jesus would often use horticultural, agricultural terms in his parables more than anything else because they represented something that needs to be cultivated. It's like I mowed the lawn last summer. You know, I'll mow it again in, in 10 years time. It doesn't work like that because our relationships are living. It's no different to our connection with God. It's a, it's a living, breathing entity. And so Jesus would refer to those weightier things as relational dynamics in our life. And what's important is anything that's relational, that has life, there's a dynamic that they continually need to be cultivated. Now, and I've used this analogy before, but it just, it's so true. If you think about a garden, okay, we're talking about agricultural terms, as it were, that if you neglect to pay attention to your garden, it will grow, but generally not what's good. Things that are unhealthy, things that are weed, things that are undesirable will grow. You, you neglect the garden, it will flourish, just with probably not what you intended. For something to be intentionally grow, to be healthy in what you're after, it needs to have intentional investment. It needs to be cultivated. You need to focus on what is important. So you've got to be intentional about how you cultivate what is in your life. Because anything that is living has things that are growing, 
but also things that are dying in their life, right? Our human bodies are no different. We have cells that are growing and cells that are dying. Same with the garden. In different seasons, trees grow and then leaves wither and die. So anything that is truly living, it has a dynamic of growing and dying. So in our life, in our life, stay with me. Jesus would say, don't neglect what is weightier. Be intentional about what you're allowing to grow in your life and be intentional what you're allowing to die in your life. Good things tend to die when they're neglected. Bad things tend to thrive on neglect. And your life, right? Your life isn't as simple as an on-off switch. Our relationships aren't as simple as an on-off switch. They're not machine, mechanical, they're relational. And so our lives are more like something like a living garden than they are a machine. You are more complicated than that. Your health is more complicated than that. Your relationships are more complicated than that. And Jesus says, I want you to pay attention to what is more important in your life, the weightier matters, the relational dynamics in your life. Now, at the conclusion of this, this passage where Jesus pronounces all these woes in the religious leaders, He finishes, He's in the temple, He finishes up. And this is in Matthew 24, verse one, He says, so Jesus left the temple and He was walking away, right? So He pronounced all these woes, He was walking away. And His disciples came up to Him and they called His attention to the building. So the building surrounding the temple. And then Jesus said to them, do you see these things? Truly, I tell you that not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. That might seem a bit random, but in one part, Jesus was prophesying, predicting what inevitably happened. Only several decades later in AD 70, Rome completely destroyed the temple. But the previous time where this took place, the last time the temple was destroyed was in the time of an Old Testament character known as Nehemiah. And Babylon had besieged Jerusalem, completely destroyed it. And a whole lot of uh, um, the local Israelites have been taken captive into exile into Babylon. And we come across this character in the Old Testament named Nehemiah. He was a Jew who was serving the king in Babylon. He had a great relationship with the king. And the story goes that one day he heard news that Jerusalem was in ruins. It was a mess. <laughs> okay, it was burned with fire. It was in a rubble. And so his heart was broken for his home city, his hometown, his home nation. And the king could see he was visibly upset. So the king asked, you know, what's wrong? He told him, I heard my hometown is just still a mess. It's in rubble. It's in, it's in a mess. And, you know, I want to do something about it. And the king loved him. So the king was like, you go for it. So he got, he, he got leave from serving the king. He got to go back to Jerusalem. And he found Jerusalem. This is amazing. Not only in a mess, not only did it look like absolutely it was destroyed and burned and piles of rubble on top of one another, but people were living amongst it. Like they'd found their home there. They hadn't done anything about the mess they were in. They completely neglected to do anything about the troubled Jerusalem they found itself in. And he sees not only the mess that the city was in, he saw that people had made their home among the mess. He found them that were sitting in the middle of the rubble of their neglect. And so we pick up the story in the book of Nehemiah. You can find that in the Old Testament. This is in chapter two. And after Nehemiah went and inspected the whole city, he gathered people together and he kind of pulled them together to give them, a, in some ways, a motivational speech to start addressing the mess that was the rubble of Jerusalem. And this is in Nehemiah chapter 2, in verse 17 and 18. Nehemiah said to them, said to the people who were living there, he said, you see the trouble we are in? Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. So he's drawing their attention to something that clearly they knew but they were neglecting to do anything about. So then he says, come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be 
in disgrace. And I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. This is what I find remarkable when Nehemiah found these people. I think it can sometimes be a picture of our lives. He found them living in squalor. He found that they'd learned to accept the mess. They'd grown comfortable in the mess. They'd learned to tolerate mess. And they were no longer doing anything about it. They were neglecting their responsibilities. And isn't it amazing how we can do that in our own lives? We can learn to live with our messes. And instead of addressing them, instead of looking them face on, and saying, I'm going to do something about this, we can learn to excuse them, to make excuses for them, and to accept it, and to grow comfortable and tolerate the messes that we found ourselves in. And this is a warning. Nehemiah comes along and just says one word. He says, guys, come on, let's Build, let's address this mess. No longer neglect the mess. And he made this amazing statement, which is super encouraging, encouraging for me. He says, he told them about the gracious hand of his God that was on his life. We read that in verse 18 there. The gracious hand of God on me. The gracious hand of God on me. And here's what's so important to understand. I mentioned this last week and I want to repeat it. Please don't hear the tone of this series as though it's some motivational TED talk to inspire you to spring clean and to clean up your life and to clean up your house, some simple motivational talk. It is not that. And Nehemiah calls it right out here. He says, there is the gracious hand of God on me. You have to understand this. God is for you. His gracious hand is towards you. God's grace is for you. And as much as God's grace allows us to come to Him as we are, mess and all with our brokenness, maybe with our shame, maybe with our regrets, maybe with our pain. The grace of God is what enables us to come to God as we are. But the grace of God has another side to it. And this is what Nehemiah is saying. The grace of God is on our lives, not just to receive us as we are, but the grace of God is also in our life to help us address the messes we've found ourselves in, to clean our lives, to renew our lives, to restore our life. And Nehemiah comes with incredible enthusiasm and vision for Jerusalem because he'd experienced the gracious hand of God in his life. Do you know that God's grace is for you? And maybe you're someone that you, you've never found yourself in relationship with God. Maybe you're someone who would never call yourself a Christian or even a church person. And you need to know that the grace of God is free and the grace of God is for you. And it's the most incredible power on the planet to not only receive you and accept you as you are, but to not just leave you as you are. It causes us to be able to face our messes with grace and comfort and mercy and love and see it healed and see it made right. And this is what Nehemiah pointed their attention to. He said, the grace of God, the greatest hand of God is upon us. And so he just got them up moving. He didn't present a huge plan. He just said, let's build. And these people have been sitting in a mess, neglecting to do anything about it. They're like, okay, let's build, right? His first step was to get them moving. And remember, we touched on that last week. Just begin because movement creates momentum. Movement creates momentum. If you want to address a mess in your life, just begin. You might not have it all figured out or the plan or a 10-year goal. Just begin because movement creates momentum. So he gets them working. He gets them moving. And they, say, they begin. He gets every person, every family living in Jerusalem, starting to rebuild the walls, starting to rebuild the city. This was amazing. And if you think of a picture of neglect, it can often be referred to as sitting on your hands. Have you heard that term before? You know, people get off your hands. Why are you sitting on your hands for? And essentially, this is where Nehemiah found these people neglecting their responsibilities, neglecting their duties, and he got them to work. He got them off their hands. And this is what we see. So they start working, they start building. 
Jerusalem's enemies weren't impressed that they were addressing their mess. And can I just say as a side note, not everyone will be impressed if you start addressing your messes in your life. Some people benefit from you staying in a mess. Some people benefit from the fact that you refuse to get your finances sorted out, right? Some people uh, love the fact that you, some of your habits are predictable, okay? And they will be upset if you start addressing the messes in your life. But as we mentioned last week, there's a whole lot of people who will be super grateful if you begin to address the mess in your life. And most likely, those who love you the most will be the ones who benefit the most from you addressing your mess. And so as it begins to do this, people start threatening their safety. The enemies of Jerusalem, the enemies of Israel are saying, you better stop this. And so we find an interesting dynamic here. This is in chapter four of Nehemiah in verse 17 to 18. So the people are working, they're rebuilding the walls. And notice what it says here. It says, those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. Okay, so we have a picture here. They weren't just rebuilding because of the, the, the constant dangers around them. They had a hammer in one hand and they had a sword in the, in the other. So they went from sitting on their hands and neglecting their responsibilities, all of a sudden, both hands at work, okay? A hammer in one hand, a sword in the other. They're rebuilding the city walls with one hand and they're defending the people with the other, okay? So, so, there was one, there was building, there was protecting. One hand to build, one hand to protect. A hammer and a sword. And this is, man, this is such a practical picture for you and I to get. And, and take, I want you to take this with you today. This is where we're landing with this message. In the areas of life we've neglected, often we have neglected something either because we've failed to continue to build or invest into something that should have received investment or we failed to protect something, something that maybe was vulnerable, something that needed your protecting. And when we fail to either build or protect, this is often when we can find our life in a mess. Let me explain it to you. If you think about a relationship in your life, okay? Again, we mentioned this earlier. Relationships aren't mechanical. They don't just have buttons to switch on and off. They're living. So you need to tend to it like a garden, any relationship, your spouse, friendships, your parents, your children, your neighbors, your colleagues. Relationships need to be tended to. And so, so it's a picture of the hammer, right? To build something, to invest in something. So in any relationship, if you haven't invested into it, potentially that's why your relationship's in a mess. You just haven't sowed into that relationship. You haven't invested. You haven't done anything productive to build into the potential and the future of that relationship. But on the other hand, with the sword, maybe you've neglected to protect your relationship, to, the, to guard that relationship. Make no mistake about it. There's plenty that will tear down healthy, godly, flourishing relationships. So maybe you haven't, been, say, in, say even in a, a marriage relationship, maybe you haven't been careful with what words have, have come into your relationship. Maybe you use names, maybe the tone of voice you use and you're critical of your spouse so often. And so instead of being protective, protecting words, you've allowed words to come in and you know, the whole death by a thousand paper cuts kind of idea. And you can use a million analogies to show that in anything to flourish and to not neglect, you've got to make sure you're, you're investing into it, you're building it, you're, you're sowing into it, but you're also protecting it. And the same could be said of our relationship with our Heavenly Father, with your faith. Maybe if your faith is in a mess, maybe if your faith is in a mess, it's because you haven't been building it. You haven't been investing into it. You haven't been intentional. You know, every time you take time to invest into your relationship with God, you're building it. It gets stronger. Every time you stop to pray, every time you take time to read the Word, Every time you invest into community, every time you give, every time you pause and remember God, every time you worship, you are investing, you are building 
you're refusing to neglect your relationship with God. And so often, maybe your relationship with God's in a mess just because you've done nothing. You haven't taken any initiative. And if you're someone who's part of Suncoast Church or Impact Church, I want to encourage you, don't let just watching this be all you're doing to invest into your relationship with God. Be intentional. This is part of it, but go about building it. Do what you, that's why I encourage people. Be in connect groups. We encourage people, have private disciplines in your own life. Where you're regularly praying, where you're regularly reading scripture. These are things that can proactively help to build. There's many other things, but they're just practical things to help build, build your relationship with God. And the same token, the sword in the hand, it's protective. So you've got to make sure you protect things that will gnaw away at your faith, maybe put seeds of doubt in your life. Be careful about the company you keep. Be protective over that. There's always dynamics we have to look, am I investing into this thing that's important in my life? And am I protecting this thing that is important in my life? Why do I say all of this? Because the truth is, we have a tendency to neglect weightier matters. And we can busy ourselves doing things that might not be bad, that could indeed be good, but they might not be what is most on God's heart. And maybe in your life right now, maybe you find yourself busy, but are you busy with the weightier matters? Jesus is saying, hey, it's all good that you're tithing mint and cumin and seeds and greenery and you're like chopping it all up because you've neglected the weightier matters. Have you done that in your life? Are you neglecting the most important things in your life? Are you finding yourself hurrying yourself towards your hobbies but neglecting your relationships or whatever it might be? Why do we neglect such simple things in our life, things that we should be so aware of? Well, if this picture we learned from the people in Jerusalem this time, I think it's easy to tell that why we end up neglecting things is because we get discouraged. We experience loss. Maybe you're experiencing disappointment right now. You've experienced grief. You're experiencing grief, failure, loss. And when that happens and discouragement sets in, we lose vision for something. We lose hope. We lose a sense of future and optimism until ultimately we lose our joy. If you think about it, something that you've once invested into, that you built and protected, is something you found great joy in. And as life has progressed and things might not have got according to plan, if you've lost your joy, you'll often find yourself neglecting to build and protect because we've lost our joy. And whenever we lose our joy in something, we tend to no longer pay attention to it and we neglect it. But here's where this finishes. Nehemiah leads the people to building up the city, not only the walls, but all the, the houses inside of Jerusalem. It's an amazing moment. A complete miracle took place. They recognized that far beyond their own abilities, God had been present. The moment they set their minds and their hands to do this work, God was working on their behalf. This is what we mentioned earlier, the grace of God. The moment you lean into something to address it, the grace of God is there with you and for you to do way more than you could have done on your own. But as they all gather together, they gather around the law, they gather around the scriptures, Nehemiah says this, this is in chapter 10, verse 10. Nehemiah said to the people, right, this is after they've recognized, oh my gosh, look at all that has happened here. Look at what we've been able to achieve. Look at the mess that we have now addressed. I cannot believe how we have rebuilt this city in such a short amount of time. Nehemiah said to them, now go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. You might ask, where did they find this incredible strength to address their mess? They found 
their joy in God. And when they found their joy in God, they realized that's where their strength lied. The joy of the Lord was their strength. They found their joy in God again. They found the strength to address the mess and make no mistake about it. There is joy for us found in Jesus Christ. And maybe if you've lost vision, maybe if you've lost hope for something, maybe if you found yourself neglecting the weightier matters and you're like, where do I even begin? You need to know that there is joy found in Jesus Christ. And when you find joy in Jesus, it leads us to addressing the messes in our lives that maybe have been neglected. When you find joy in Jesus, it causes us to see again with hope and optimism and vision. And here's the kicker. We start to appreciate the things in our life again. We start to value them again rather than feeling entitled to them and taking them for granted. If you're looking for joy in your life again in order to re-engage with the weightier matters, re-engage with the more important things, joy returns in Christ. Joy returns in Christ and it will give you the strength to build and to protect. And if you're wanting to get off your hands again, take a hammer in one hand and a sword in the other and to refuse to neglect the weightier matters, the joy you're looking for, to find that enthusiasm to address the messes in our life, it is found in Christ. And why is it joy? I mean, out of all the things they could have said they find strength in, why was it joy? What did they know about God that led them to realizing it was the joy of the Lord that was their strength? Well, look at what was built. It went from a city that was destroyed and rubble to something that was built again. The messes were addressed and it was functional and it was safe and it was productive again. This is a picture of what God is like. God is a redeemer. God gives second chances. God restores. God renews. He brings visions and dreams to pass. He causes us to punch above our weight. That's what the grace of God does. He doesn't forget His promises. He defeats our enemies and He gives new hope and a future. No wonder they were like, it is joy that we found in God. Look at the change He's brought in our life. They found joy. And the good news is, this is what He does in our lives too. So here's what we do today. This is the step I want you to take. Go to God. If there's an area in your life you've lost joy, if there's an area in your life you've neglected, go to God again and learn to be grateful for what He's done for you, what He gives to you, what He offers freely for your life, and you will discover joy. This is why worship, particularly as we sing, is super important because it reminds you and you speak out loud the things that God has done for you. When we sing about His love, we sing about His kindness, we sing about His faithfulness, it reminds you instead of taking for granted things, you are reminded of it. It returns joy. When we, this is what happens when we tithe, when we give the first percentage of all we earn to God, it is reminding ourselves that everything I have is from God, that God is faithful, that God's my provider. This is what happens when we serve others. We're reminded that God has served us. When we engage with our faith. It reminds us of how God is for us and it stirs joy again inside of us. And so where do you begin? Begin with joy. If there's an area in your life that you've neglected to help build and to protect it, you've got to rediscover the joy and the joy of the Lord is your strength. Here's my point. Don't neglect, build and protect. I'll say it again for the people in the back. Don't neglect, build and protect. I'll say it a last time for the person washing the dishes right now or someone who's watching something else on another screen. Don't neglect, build and protect. And the moment you find your joy in Christ again, you will find the strength to no longer neglect, but to build and protect.
I would love to pray for you right now, particularly if you're someone that you've never found joy in Christ. It is free, it is available, and it is for you. And maybe you're someone that's never, never lent into God, never put your trust in God, never accepted God's love for you. Well, here's an opportunity for you to do that right now. And you can pray this prayer along with me. And you feel free to pray these words out loud as well. It helps make it, I guess, a bit more real. But you can pray it in your heart. You can pray it quietly, however you'd like to do it. But it's a prayer for you to find the joy that is found in Jesus Christ. Pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for giving me Jesus. Thank you for offering me joy. Thank you for giving me new life in Christ. I'm sorry for my mistakes. I'm sorry for neglecting the weightier matters. Today, I choose to trust you. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you were encouraged by what you heard and inspired to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. For more details, check out suncoast.org.au. Hope you can join us again on the next podcast or here at Suncoast Church. Thank you.